Hi, hey, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Good morning. Good morning, Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave in God's Country, the Piney Woods of North Central Florida, in the Melvin Law Studio. Melvin Law, the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gators, protected 24-7-365 by crime prevention. Our good friends, Randy Elrad and Don Pastore, and our new uh, advertiser, uh, Julia Acosta at Allstate Insurance. So uh, thank you for tuning in with us and getting on board and helping us produce a good program, hopefully for you, to be involved with. Uh, we have got the phone line open. Hopefully, we'll get a call in in a moment uh, from our instigator investigator. Um, that is our hope right now. Let me make sure that he's available and coming. Uh, I believe he should be. Uh, sometimes he has a, believe it or not, for somebody as technically as proficient as he is, he sometimes, uh, let me just ring him up here. Um, Hang on. Now, what? Don't don't, don't, I'm on my own phone. You should be calling in. Okay. So I guess he's there. Jared, production is a. I uh, give me a testing one, two, three. Um, Mark, can you talk? Uh, loud and clear. Yes. Can you hear me? There we go. There we go, brother. We're hooked up. You know how modern. Uh, internet technology is you of all people know it. You know your way around it, blindfolded. Uh, yours truly here doesn't. Um, you know, just for you listeners and the viewers, we've got three separate moving parts here. Uh, we've got production at one location. Yours truly here in the Piney Woods. And, of course, our good friend, instigator, investigator at an undisclosed location. Uh, and I know what a draw he is. Uh, you guys love to hear him. And uh, we keep him kind of just audio only. He likes it that way. So we're on the call in line today with Mark Glazer, who Mark and I have worked together. Um, I mean, we're getting gray together. We first started in 2012. And I think the thing that first piqued our mutual interest was Rodney Long's shenanigans. And we haven't really strayed too far uh, from investigating shenanigans because it never ceased to amaze us. And the latest one we're going to probably start out talking with you about is none other than our own homegrown Andrew Gillum, whose godmother, I believe, is Mama Cynthia Chestnut, whose best buddy is the permanently disbarred uh, Christopher Chestnut, and who narrowly, narrowly, narrowly missed being our governor, all while these things were going on and are now coming to light in the in, by the liars. And, <laughs> you know, as the worm turns. So Mark... I guess you can just give a start out today, sir, please, with the saga of the latest uh, shenanigans, my brother. I think saga describes it perfectly, Ward. Excuse me. Um, this this uh, development from yesterday with the jury uh, being dislodged, if you will, uh, with what they call an Allen charge. The judge finally said, okay, you've been meeting for 30 hours, five days. It's time to, you know, make some sort of decision. So. Uh, there's no question that Andrew Gillum won a skirmish yesterday. His uh, lesser charge, uh, facing five years for lying to the FBI, he was found not guilty on by the 12-member uh, jury up in Tallahassee in federal court. Uh, unfortunately for him, 
The U.S. government has already made a statement that they will be retrying him and his co-defendant on 18 charges, each carry uh, 20-year potential penalties each um, for uh, scheming to defraud and also wire fraud related to uh, misuse of campaign money that went into their, uh, allegedly went into their own pockets. So we believe that the case moving forward will um, become simpler, become more streamlined, and we're hoping um, that we get a jury that's less dysfunctional than this last one. I think that's the the best way to describe this jury. They uh, out of the gate, they were sending uh, multiple jurors were sending note uh, ambiguous notes to the judge, um, and so it was all very confusing from the very start. So it, it looked like uh, this jury was uh, more like a rudderless ship until the, the judge finally laid the, laid the law down and said, "Okay, make a, some sort of decision." Um, because uh, you've had uh, too much time to uh, deliberate, and this time time is money. Um, uh, unfortunately, uh, they're going to have to retry the, the case. Um, but I will tell you this, it's very expensive. And one of the looming questions out there is how in the world Andrew Gillum was able to take $440,000 out of the political action committee that he's being charged with misusing funds from to pay his high-priced South Florida defense attorneys um, out of that out of that same fund that he's actually being charged with a wire fraud of, of moving money out of that campaign as well. So it's uh, a little bit confusing there. We hope to get an answer for the listeners on that in the near future on how that's even possible, if that's legal in and of itself, and also what he will do uh, moving forward and, and able to finance um, his defense team who come at a very high price. Obviously, he started a GoFundMe account with uh, the civil rights attorney, Benjamin Crump, so they're hoping they can raise some funds that way. But I guarantee you one thing, these attorneys don't work for free, and if the money runs out, uh, so will the defense team. So um, we're looking forward to uh, probably about a two-week trial. We don't know uh, when that will start, but the government, like I said, has already made a statement, a public statement, that they will be um, retrying the uh, 36 counts, 18 each, against Andrew Gillum and his co-defendant, uh, Sharon Letman Hicks, in terms of uh, charged with scheming to defraud and also wire fraud related to moving the money um, out of those um, campaign uh, accounts and into their personal accounts, and also uh, a small handful of emails as well that were allegedly fraudulently mailed to cover up the scheme. So we're looking forward to um, a long summer, and of course, uh, the battle was won yesterday by Andrew Gillum. Uh, the war uh, continues, and we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, I can tell you this. Nobody wants to be in federal court for uh, three weeks, and so the, that's behind him. Um, he can celebrate, but I think the victory will be short-lived once the dust settles and he realize what, what realizes what he's still up against, and that is uh, 18 counts each uh, of carrying a maximum penalty of 20 years each. Uh, in federal prison, and I can I can say again that nobody wants to be in his his position right now. And let's go back down the Yellow Brick Road here for a moment, refreshing people. He was behaving this way the whole time he was mayor of Tallahassee, was he not? Well, I mean, obviously, uh, the FBI um, went into undercover mode to try to, try to undercover um, to uncover some of the corruption that was taking place. They've been very successful in terms of the former uh, city commissioner, uh, Scott Maddox, and also a developer, J.T. Burnett, and um, also Scott Maddox's uh, administrator, uh, Paige Carter-Smith. 
um, they all um, either did or are doing federal time. Uh, unfortunately, I think the FBI did not handle um, Andrew Gillum well at all. Uh, you may recall they they actually funded his campaign kickoff uh, fundraiser. So that was in 2017. So they really jump-started his campaign. So in my opinion, uh, they, they handled this all wrong. Uh, they gave him the impetus uh, to run and the financial bearings to run. And uh, you know the rest of the story from there. He narrowly beat Gwen Graham in a primary by three percentage points. Uh, we were following, tracking all the dark money through that. Obviously, um, this campaign, uh, his gubernatorial campaign, was highly financed by George Soros and also uh, Donald Sussman, who was actually um, a part is part of um, the uh, charges of, of moving money around. They they took two hundred fifty thousand dollars from Donald Sussman and moved it through another account. Um, so that they could move some of that money allegedly into their own personal accounts. I believe the the uh, the charges that that remain are very clear, and I think if you get a reasonable jury to um, uh, evaluate just the scheming to defraud and the um, the wire fraud, that they will co- they will come to uh, a quick conclusion. I don't know what that will be. I don't want to speculate. I will say that Andrew Gillum and Sharon Letman Hicks are both innocent until proven otherwise. And so they they deserve at least that modicum of um, judicial respect. So we're going to watch this very closely. Um, We believe that it'll last probably into June, July, maybe longer um, before they before they um, reload this case. And so we'll keep a very close eye on that for your listeners. So it's far from over. And, uh, you know, don't don't believe all the spin you hear. It, It is a very good day for Andrew Gillum to get out from under that charge. And but that was one charge out of 37 counts. That was one count. So they're still facing 18 counts each. So, um, you know, it's it's a heavy lift. And of course, like I said, they still have to finance this this defense team as well. So we'll keep a close eye on it for the for the uh, the listeners on your show who are always going to get it first and foremost at the Ward Scott Files. And so we're not we're not uh, uh, slowing down or letting up, and we will we will definitely keep a, an ear and an, eye, an ear open and a and an eye open on this case as it moves forward through the federal court. We're talking with Mark Glazer, our investigator, instigator, investigator. Really, uh, we're cons- you know, people think we instigate. We just report uh, as, co- as as honestly as we can. If you have a question, I'm looking at the chat line. I know that, uh, there's some questions coming in um, that. Uh, that uh, we'll gladly pass along. Mark is uh, on audio only, so he can't uh, necessarily see what you're sending. I see it, and I pass it along to him. Uh, one of the things we're going over here is the narrow clip, as they say in the seafaring world, uh, of almost being swamped uh, in our dinghy uh, by this uh, big wave, what was Andrew Gillum. If you recall locally, we even had the sheriff at the time, Sadie Darnell, March with this character and, well, support him, endorse him. And, of course, March and the Black Lives Matter. I can't really separate those two uh, and uh, those entities and those behaviors uh, too much. They're all they're all tied in. And not that there was anything that we know yet about how people voted. But this was truly a biracial, if you will, jury um, about not exactly 50-50, correct me if I'm wrong on this, uh, Mark, but uh, seven white, five black. Is that basically what I remember hearing? 
if that's not exactly right, that's very close. And those numbers in terms of how, how they were deadlocked, those numbers will likely come out today. The uh, jurors are not um, held to uh, any kind of secrecy. So uh, if one juror decides to come forward and say, here, here's how it unfolded, it was 10-2 one way or the other, or it was 6-6 six to six or whatever. So we'll know soon which way they were leaning, if they were leaning, and uh, find out if it was, if it was a close um, you know, close call or not. So that'll, that'll give both sides an, uh, an idea of what they're up against in terms of a jury and, and know how to attack it from here. But it, it will be streamlined. But you're right. It, you know, there was certainly um, representation across ethnic um, lines on the jury, which I think is only fair. The jury pool was from the um, Tallahassee and surrounding area in that particular um, district, if you will. So there was a good mix of um, gender. There was a good mix of race. And unfortunately, like I said, they they got dysfunctional very quickly right out of the chute in terms of the ambiguity. They were get, uh, sending notes to the judge, and it was very confusing to the judge. Um, he was getting mixed signals from them. Um, you know, one of the jurors even took a selfie outside of the federal courthouse and posted on LinkedIn when they were ordered not to go to social media, use social media, that type of thing. So um, it was getting um, pretty squirrely there at the end, so the judge finally gave them the Allen charge and said, okay, it's, it's time for you guys to come up with a decision. And of course that decision was made within hours. And that was to find Andrew Gillum, not guilty of lying to the FBI and deadlocked on all the um, other 36 counts. So, um, you know, back to your, your uh, original question, Ward, um, you know, the jury was mixed and, uh, the next jury likely will be mixed also because both the prosecution and the defense um, get to, um, you know, make their uh, wishes known in terms of they get to uh, pick and choose or disqualify jurors as they move forward. They have limits, of course. But so they're going to go through that whole process again. And I have a feeling the next jury is going to see a much clearer picture based on the scheming to the fraud and the wire fraud, as opposed to all this undercover, long haired pot developers and, you know, people coming in under assumed names and testifying. And with their photo blurred out, you know, to protect them and their family, that was all just to me was a big distraction. Now they'll get down to what we call the meat and potatoes, and that is, you know, the money, follow the money. And I think it's a very simple path, and uh, we'll see what the jury comes up with. Of course, this is how the system works. I think it is working. And I have a little saying in my world, and that is that the wheels of justice move slowly. But when they pin your garment to the tracks, good luck getting loose. So um, the garment is pinned. And so this next trial probably will decide Andrew Gillum's future in terms of his liberty. He is certainly facing the potential of federal prison. And I think that reality will set in today after their celebration yesterday, which, you know, kudos to them. They did get out from under that one charge. And, and that's what the jury decided. And that's how our system works. And so we'll, we'll live by that. And moving Got forward. A coming in from a great um, we'll supporter here. Mark, got a question coming in from a great supporter here. Uh, what was the impact, if any, of the dismissed juror? So the juror was not dismissed. The judge decided that it, it wasn't enough to impact uh, dismissal. So they stuck with the original 12 jurors. And um, even though they did, they did not call in an alternate, if they had called in an alternate, they would have had to start the deliberations from scratch. So the judge oh. made the decision on the fly to stick with that juror. <clears throat> Interesting, interesting, interesting. Well, um, 
we certainly don't have a bullet here in the state. And um, the state has definitely taken a different direction as a result. And there's no looking back now. This even has had a fallout effect, I suspect, on some of the candidates down the line. Uh, Nikki Fried, Fried Frazzle, we used to talk about. I don't hear a peep out of her. What's going on with that, uh, Any of anything, Mark? Well, she's kicking up a lot of dust. She's head of the uh, Democrat Executive Committee for the state of Florida now, so she still has, um, you know, a, a bully pulpit, so to speak. And uh, right now, she's working uh, the mayoral mayoral race in Jacksonville pretty hard, um, which I think that election's a week from Tuesday. I think it's the 16th, something like that. And so uh, she's still, you know, kicking up a lot of dust. But I will say this. Um, you know, Andrew Gillum, after he lost the election, vowed to register, you know, a million voters or whatever. And of course, that didn't happen. And uh, the turnout for the 2022 gubernatorial race that just happened last November um, was was just pitiful. I believe it was 54 uh, percent overall and Democrats were even much less. So um, the Democrats are, are staying home and um, the Republicans are not in the state of Florida. Um you can tell by the uh, the results of the uh, Santos beating Charlie Crisp by twenty percentage points. Um, it was definitely it was a landslide mandate. Call it what you want, but um, Florida's no longer um, a swing state, and so you'll see a lot of this uh, foreign money that gets poured into these swing states. Stay away from Florida now. So I think we're in pretty good shape moving forward. Obviously, the legislature um, just came up with their budget on Tuesday. And they will um, they will adjourn, I believe, sometime today around noon, sometime like that, and they'll get to go home. So, uh, you know, obviously we've we've had some wins in the legislature. We're also disappointed, really, quite frankly, in the Office of Elections, Crimes, and Security. Um, other than the you know twenty or so people that they arrested back in August, they've done literally next to nothing. Uh, we have run circles around them, so they are going to likely triple their budget. It remains to be seen if they can actually um, make a difference in terms of the amount of voter fraud that's taking place, not just in our county, but around the state, which we've exposed. Ward, you've had a big hand in that. You've, you've been there every step of the way, so you know what I'm talking about. Um, it's there. It's real. We've got some uh, earth-shattering cases about to hit the books um, this week and this month, and so we're looking forward to um, some uh, uh, final outcomes on some of the voter fraud cases that are taking place here in Latcher County and other counties around North Central Florida, primarily due to our hard work. And so we're waiting for the Office of Election Crimes and Security to actually uh, do what they were intended to do. Meanwhile, um, FDLE uh, sits on their hands. Um, the statewide prosecutors have been handcuffed based on jurisdiction. And the real um, uh, movement forward has been through local state attorneys uh, like in Seminole County, Duval County, and also Alaska County. Well, and two, we've got some things to report here locally that are about ready to really be potentially very interesting as we've been tracking that to the extent that we can share that. I invite you to do so. Um, we talk about these, uh, Mark and I do, about just about every day. Locally, what do we got coming so up? You want, okay, just to recap. So two years ago, um, uh, I discovered that, you know, inmates were voting from the Alachua County Jail and they had voted in the 2020 election and that they were ineligible. And with, you know, the facilitation, if you will, of the 
the supervisor of elections, uh, Kim Barton, and her outreach director, T.J. Pache. Uh, the result of that was an eight-month FDLE investigation, 10 sworn complaints, 10 prosecutions, seven plea deals already in the books, another plea deal coming. Um, so that leaves two who are headed to jury trial. One of those jury trials is scheduled for uh, uh, May the 15th. So that is coming fast and furious. That's in 10 days. And we, I have actually been uh, pulled into that um, potentially as a deposed witness. Um, but that that is on on schedule right now uh, for um, the 15th of May. And we look forward to being there in the courtroom for that and bringing you um, updates, if you will, almost instantaneously. Uh, the news from that is that Kim Barton and T.J. Bichet have both been called as witnesses in that case. And once they get on the witness stand, they will be sworn under oath to answer questions directly about why they went into the Alachua County Jail during a COVID outbreak with $500,000 to $700,000 of Zuckerberg money to go in there to uh, facilitate a safe election and then actually register ineligible inmates from the jail who are now serving time based on that false registration and also um, their fraudulent vote that was cast and counted in the 2020 election, even though all the, the mainstream media would tell you that the elections were clean and safe and there was no voter fraud or that it was statistically insignificant, we've discovered otherwise. We know at least 2,000 sex offenders registered illegally to vote in the 2020 election. We know about 25% of them actually cast ballots. And we know that many of them uh, have been arrested in six different counties around the state. And three have just been um, charged here locally in Alachua County. One has already uh, faced arraignment. One is being transported from state prison as we speak to wrap up his case as quickly as possible so that he can serve that term concurrently with his current state prison sentence. Another one has been charged who's in state prison who will also be transported, who is scheduled to be released in June. But if he is um, arrested and transported before then, he will face probably a pretty stiff bond in order to get out um, before he faces those uh, voter fraud charges. So we have three new cases of sex offender voter fraud in Alachua County. And we also have two cases headed to jury trial, not the least of which will be on May 15th. So that's, that's, a, that's a day to mark on your calendar. Um, the first jury trial from the inmates that voted allegedly illegally from the Alachua County Jail. Uh, through the assistance of the outreach director from the Alachua County Super, uh, Supervisor of Elections. So that's a big deal, and it should make um, not only local, state, but also probably national headlines. Uh, we're working with a, a national reporter right now. Uh, there should be an article out today on the DeSantis voter fraud suite back in August, and they will follow that up not only with the inmates who have been charged and prosecuted and convicted and sentenced, but also with the third-party voter registration groups that have made a very lucrative living registering ineligible felons around the state who are now uh, incarcerated thanks to them, yet they walked away with huge paychecks living in $3.3 million mansions and the like. So we're going to expose all of that moving forward. And so um, it should um, really swell and play nicely into the 2024 election in terms of uh, whether there was actually voter fraud in 2020 or not. There's two points I might add on this, uh, Mark, that you and I have both experienced. And a uh, number one uh, point is that uh, 
when you hear about this voter uh, misbehavior, if you will, they generally don't ever take into account all the other elections, smaller, local, that these people perhaps voted in that were greatly influenced in greater proportion statistically because there are fewer votes cast. So when we say there were uh, X number of votes cast and the press focuses on national elections, that's just one part of the story for state elections. We got local. We actually think some things may have swung the other way. Correct, Mark? Yeah, I think the one that comes to mind was the um, uh, there was a county referendum on um, some adjustment act or something. I think it was within a couple hundred votes, which I feel like we could have found that certainly to to question the outcome of that particular uh, referendum. Um, The other thing that I point to is the 2000 election. Bush Gore was decided by eight votes per Florida county. The entire national election for president of the United States in 2000 was decided by some 537 votes in Florida. We certainly have, have found that for the 2020 election. We're not saying that it changed the outcome, but you know we, we can only start in our local area and then expand from there. So yes, we found the, the voter irregularities in Alachua County. We found the voter irregularities in the state of Florida. The question in my mind is, you know, what happened in Georgia? Well, I don't have the, the uh, you know, the resources and the time and the tools to find that out. And unfortunately, I don't believe anyone has taken the time to look. If they would, I think they would find enough to potentially overturn that state's um, presidential uh, electoral college vote. Um, I ha- there's no question in my mind. So it, it's there. It just takes the right person to know what they're doing to look. And you have to know the the statutes for each individual state. Yeah, local elections can be very close. Historically, congressional elections are not close for for U.S. House, uh, that type of thing. Um, But obviously, Nikki Freed's election was was decided by, I believe, about 11,000 votes in the state of Florida. So um, certainly, um, you know, four-tenths of 1% or one-quarter of 1% with automatic recounts, we really focus on election integrity, and we don't believe there is any at this point. It's just a it's just a misnomer. Those two words cannot be used together. There is no election integrity in the state of Florida. We were lied to by the supervisors of elections, including Republicans, including the president of the supervisor of elections. They posted a memo out in October of 2021 stating that we can rest assured that only eligible Floridians are on the voter rolls. That was not only misinformation, it was disinformation. They knew that was false. They absolutely lied. And then the Lake County Supervisor of Elections threw down the gauntlet and said, put up or shut up. We put up and, and here we are. So we're, you know, we're marching forward. Unfortunately, we're facing a statute of limitations on the 2020 election, but we've also found uh, voting irregularities in the 2022 election. So nothing's changed. There is no election integrity in our county. There is no election integrity in our state. And for the governor to say otherwise is also a falsehood. So we've been lied to by the Secretary of State at the time, Laurel Lee. We've been lied to by all the supervisors of elections. And we're being misled by the governor himself, saying that we have the gold standard of elections. And, you know, they would say, well, it's all relative, you know, relative to other states. We had the cleanest, fastest election I'm not, I don't care about relativity. We did not have a clean election in 2020. We've proven that. We will continue to prove it, and we will not let up until someone recognizes the fact that we have been lied to 
as a citizenry, as a community, and we will not stand for this. And it's time to put our foot down and have some integrity in our elections, especially facing a 2024 election that very much looks like a rematch between an election where there was much doubt cast upon it, where there was actually an, an quote-unquote insurrection on January the 6th where hundreds of people are in jail on federal charges. We do not want a replay of that. We want a clean election with integrity, and I don't believe it's too much to ask. You know, we're going to get back to a point, maybe if you can uh, pick up on this after the break, Mark. Of the futile effort, really, of showmanship, I believe, on Brian Kramer's part, to have a solicitation of people who are wondering whether they can vote. We covered that. We'll talk about that when we get back, if that's okay with you, sir. Um, we're going to break. Sounds good. We're going to break for uh, our weather here, brought to us by Lewis Oil in a moment. We're talking with Mark Glazer, an investigator. I coined also instigator, but we really don't instigate. All we do is try to turn over the rocks and see if there are worms there and then uh, tell the authorities and watch to see if anything happens. So, and we share it with you. Uh, by the way, um, the coverage that you're getting uh, on the Gillum uh, matter is probably being delivered to you more in, in greater detail here on the Ward Scott Files than anywhere else you'll see it. And one of the things that we've learned, Mark and I have both been interviewed by uh, many, many national outlets. Um, the I will just editorialize that the most reliable accuracy is Breitbart News, and probably one of the least is the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Um, they always have a political agenda through which they filter our remarks. And when they come out publicly, we can't even recognize them as anything close to what we said. So if you're getting your news from the newspaper, uh, you're not getting it accurately. And we can testify to that. We'll be back just a moment after we uh, thank our sponsors and our uh, weather. We'll give to you. We'll be right back on Award Scott Files. Stay tuned. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. 
What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth. All these poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right, welcome back to Ward's Weather Report here, brought to you by Lewis Oil. Great sponsors here of the uh, Ward Scott Files. Well, already there's been a holler for the Naked Rain Dance again because people are saying it's not enough water. And, yeah, it's, we need more water here in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida. Uh, it's May, and, um, uh, you know, we'll see what we can do. But um, uh, we can never really have enough water for crops here in our, our part of the uh, state. Uh, by the way, you know, it's about going to go up to high 80s here today where we are. It's in the uh, high 60s right now. You know, the old adage the sailors taught me that there's never an ill wind doesn't blow somebody a good. And out in Coloma, California, the A&P writers report that this historic snowpack there is starting to melt and it's bringing a spring runoff and it's bringing some of the best conditions for whitewater rafting on the rivers there and its forks that they can have any memory of in recent history. It's a member of a series of powerful storms that dump record amounts of rain and snow. Uh, that rain and snow is now melting. It's replenishing the rivers and the reservoirs. It's uh, bringing an end to the state's three-year drought and cascading volumes of water are flowing in all the various rivers at rates that they haven't seen out there in years. And of course, this is a godsend for someone like the Sierra Whitewater Rafting Incorporated. Um, they are really preparing for a fun time with whitewater rafting. And if you haven't ever whitewater rafted, it is really fun. I've done it on the, uh, uh, over here in South and North Carolina in that area. And, um, uh, these are a really, uh, uh, a delight for recreational water, not to mention, uh, thankfully replenishing the need for crops and whatnot in California. So, um, the, uh, severe storms are really going to be impacting the Great Plains and Mississippi Valley now. Uh, we don't look like we'll be getting any of them, but uh, uh, they should be getting them across the midsection of, this, of the country. Now we're talking with uh, Mark Glazer here on audio only. Our, we throw up once in a while for fun, and I want to compliment a production for this, a silhouette of Sherlock Holmes. And uh, that is a wonderful um, thing. To, we used to use the theme song, but somebody called us out for the copyrights and all that business. So and now we put the silhouette of Sherlock Holmes up there because of the great work that Mark's been doing really as a volunteer community member. Um, we don't get paid for this. Um, uh, lots of times we contribute. Um, exp- our expense money is really supported by you contributors who who donate to the Ward Scott Files, and we thank you for that. Um, every once in a while, we'll run into a big request for money if we're going to get some records or uh, from the authorities and all that. And that's usually the way they have of trying to keep you from seeing them. So we we appreciate all the support you all give us, some of you behind the scenes. And by that, I mean you're not advertisers, but you donate. 
And I try to give you a handwritten card now and then to appreciate that. Don't think you're not appreciated. Uh, one of the things that we were talking about before the break, Mark and I, was Brian Kramer, who was reluctant to hear any of this from us. And we might go down that memory lane in a moment, Mark, when we begin again. Uh, it took up what we did and uh, began to build himself as a clearinghouse for people who wondered whether they could vote. And that was a dud. Let's go through, if you will, Mark, let's go through the the beginning and the end of that, if you will, sir. So, as you know, Ward, uh, in February of 2020, um, we discovered the the irregularities at the Alachua County Jail where ineligible inmates had voted. Uh, It took us a while to get the attention, time and and attention of um, the state attorney. You were there at the meeting with him, and we turned those files over. some of which were worked on, you know, by a prosecutor um, uh, at the state level. And uh, so they were airtight. And from there, they were kicked over to the sheriff, the new sheriff, um, who also, you know, runs the county jail, but was not running the county jail at the time um, of the 2020 election. And because these were all charter officers, uh, i.e. the state attorney, the supervisor of elections and the sheriff, uh, it was too much of a hot potato for any of those two to actually investigate. It took them eight months to, to do their investigation, came up with 10 complaints. And, of course, then came the, um, you know, the information file, the charges, the prosecution, the, the uh, exposure in the press, the media, that type of thing. And so for whatever reason, <laughs> um, the state attorney decided in his infinite wisdom that he would set up the V8 program where anyone could go to him and and find out if they were eligible to vote or not. And they would make that determination. And the end result would be that if they determined that you were eligible to vote and that you were found to have voted illegally um, or registered illegally in, in Alachua County, that you would not be prosecuted by the state attorney. Um, one thing worth noting is now there's a new law that statewide prosecutors can handle these cases, uh, even though they may the crime may have only occurred in one jurisdiction. So that's kind of out the window. The other thing is, almost nobody came knocking on his door. I mean, there's not a whole lot of demand for people um, who've led a life of crime to want to take the time to figure out whether they're eligible to vote or not. It's just a fact. It's the way it is. There is uh, a lot of demand for for registering voters and getting paid to register voters. And that's the real issue because voter registration became very lucrative and it got a lot of people in trouble. And on the, on the, the tail end, the ones that v- voted and registered illegally, the ones that registered them are um, on their way to the bank and they're, they're living um, this splendid, uh, luxurious lifestyle now. And I can give you uh, an exact example. And that is the uh, gentleman who actually got Amendment 4 on the ballot back in 2018, Desmond Mead, who runs the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. He lives in a $3.3 million house in a gated community. So do you think he really cares about the hapless soul that uh, is now serving an extra 11 months in Florida State Prison because um, someone uh, registered them to vote and gave them misinformation or false information? And that's what we look to find out on the witness stand from T.J. Pache on, on May the 15th moving forward. Um, we want to find out what exactly he told those individuals in terms of their rights. And then we want to hear from them what they say they were told. And from that, 
we should develop some sort of theme or narrative and how far they went in pushing this envelope, why they were so adamant about signing people up uh, regardless of their eligibility, and then the inmates take the brunt of the punishment. So we were really looking forward to uh, either malfeasance or a misdemeanor or something against the supervisor's office and or her outreach director. And because of the statute limitations on misdemeanors, that window has passed. But we can find that information out on the witness stand. Now, remember this, DJ Pichet, when the story hit Breitbart in June of 2020, was not that far after the election, he immediately put in his letter of resignation and when FDLE came knocking on his door, he invoked his Fifth Amendment rights. He has a very good lawyer here in town. So I would expect him to do the same on the witness stand. And I think that tells you all you need to know. So I think these inmates that are left, these, these two inmates that are left uh, uh, demanding jury trials, have a very good chance of um, winning their cases uh, if they would just get PJ on the witness stand and have him invoke his Fifth Amendment rights. I believe that would play very well in front of a jury. So if I was his attorney, that's exactly what I would do. And of course, as you know, that attorney has reached out to me um, and has also filed a uh, motion to compel in the court case. Now, I have not spoken to him. I'm not reaching out to him uh, because I don't want to play favorites in this case. I'm not, uh, I have no empathy. I'm not an advocate for these uh, defendants, uh, but I'm also, I also have no, uh, empathy for the supervisor of elections and what she did. And so I feel like, if nothing else, this needs to be exposed at a national level. And if I was the governor, I would take a hard look at possibly removing someone from office. So that's that's just my personal opinion on this matter. And I, I pray that it does move forward in the courts and that it is exposed because we've waited far too long. We're It's now May of 2023. We had this information in February of 2020. It should not take this long. And I can tell you this, that the voter fraud hotline right now at the state level is an absolute joke. It's a black hole that goes to voicemail. Nothing gets done. Calls don't get returned. No one gets prosecuted. No one's getting arrested. They have over a thousand open cases with probable cause and nothing's getting done. So they made their impact, excuse me, back in August. They were happy with the results in November. And now they're just going to take another $4 million of taxpayers' money and pretend to enforce election integrity in our state. They have to be called out as well. There are no good guys in this scenario, okay? We're, we're not taking sides, Ward. We don't, we're not party favorite, gender, race, all that. Data don't lie. We just are the messengers of the data. We present it and we expect people to do their jobs. And that's what's happening is people would rather sit and rest on their laurels instead of doing the jobs that they're getting paid very handsomely to do and point fingers at each other where the supervisors point to the uh, Division of Elections and the Secretary of State. They kick back and point to the supervisors and both sides pretend that everything's under control. And it's much like the emperor's new clothes. The emperor is butt naked. There is no suit. There are no fancy clothes. There is no election integrity, and nothing's changing. It's, it's still taking place. The penalties have been um, expanded upon third rights voting uh, organizations that fraudulently register people to vote. Other than that, nothing's changed. We still have ineligible voters on the voter rolls. We still have ineligible voters casting ballots in our local, state, and national elections.
I read the other day somewhere, Mark, that the election, um, or voting in the elections, I'm, I'm thinking at least 40%, correct me if I'm wrong, is done by absentee or mail-in ballots. You got any handle on that? There's no question. <clears throat> yeah, there's no question that 2020 was a perfect storm for voter fraud. Um, you had amendments in Florida. You had Amendment 4 passed in 2018. You had people uh, hitting the streets, um, registering people who were ineligible and people who were eligible, and getting paid to do so. You had uh, $450 million of Zuckerberg money throughout the nation going to predominantly blue states, blue counties, Alaska County included. And so it was a perfect storm. Then you throw in the pandemic where they want everybody to stay home except for the people who are registering people to vote. And so they expanded upon the mail ballot aspect of things. So between ballot harvesting, mail ballots, the pandemic, and getting paid to register people to vote, um, you had an absolute perfect storm. It's just, it's just nothing short of a miracle that there was as much integrity as there was in the election. But it was, it was wide open in 2020. And it's not much different now, ladies and gentlemen. Trust me, it's not. Um, there, I could, I could give you 10 people right now that voted in the 2022 election in Latcher County who were ineligible to vote. I've turned those names over to the Office of Elections, Crimes, and Security. What I'm saying is that they're doing nothing about it. They're like a deer in the headlights right now. They don't know what to do because they've been exposed. And their narrative that there was a gold standard election in 2020 is an absolute farce. And there's, it's nothing different than 2022. So now that they've got a handle on the ballot harvesting, at least we'll, we will get some relief but we're still very concerned about the, the high numbers of ineligible voters that are still on our voter rolls. And the only thing that's going to change that is if they don't vote and then they get purged from the rolls. That's the only thing that's in play right now. So, yes, mail ballots are um, problematic when it comes to voter fraud. But you throw in the pandemic and the just uh, exorbitant amounts of cash that were thrown at people to register anybody with, that could fog a mirror. And you had unprecedented voter fraud throughout the country, but absolutely in our county and in our state. And we've proven it, Ward. We've proven it over and over and over. We have, we now have uh, seven prosecutions uh, in Blatcher County, one in Duval, two in, two in Seminole, another one coming in Seminole, uh, six more in Blatcher County. We have a 100% conviction rate, okay? All of our documentation is airtight. It's, it all has found probable cause. Everyone's being charged. Everyone's being prosecuted. When we, when we go through the avenues of a state attorney who's willing to take the bull by the horns, but we have other state attorneys in Osceola County, Orange County, uh, like Monique Worrell. We have the former, or excuse me, the current president of the Florida Supervisor of Elections uh, in Leon County who refuses to admit that there was any voter fraud in his, in his county. We have the uh, state attorney up there, Jack Campbell, who sits on his hands. He has 22 cases in Gadsden County alone, 22 cases out of 23,000 votes cast, sexual predators and sex offenders who voted in the 2020 election. That's one out of every thousand voters. And they refuse to do anything about it. And it's really very disturbing that a lot of these state attorneys um, will not face facts. And I really believe it's up to the governor to put the onus on them. And if they don't do their jobs, if they be removed from office, just like he did in Hillsborough County, 
and like he's likely to do in Orange and Osceola County uh, based on other events. But uh, not prosecuting voter fraud is not doing your job. And if you're not doing your job, then you can be and should be removed from office. We're talking about those 10 people that you know about. They never contacted our local state attorney and said, hey, gee, Mr. Attorney, tell me if I can vote. Isn't that funny? I mean, I don't mean funny, but isn't that interesting that you uncovered? It, it, it is ironic. Isn't it ironic? It is I mean, ironic. Funny. I mean, crazy it, stuff. Yeah. So it, it was a big, you know, it was a big nothing burger, as they say. It was a big flop. You know, they thought they would be, you know, inundated with calls. Am, am I eligible or not? <laughs> you know, it's just that it's just not there. Like I said, if you're living a life of crime and you can't if you can't backtrack on all your felonies and you can't remember how, who you owe what in terms of fines, fees and or restitution, then you've got a lot more problems than figuring out your eligibility you know, to vote. So, you know, look. I can do it. It's it's not hard. Give me your name. Tell me where you were prosecuted. And I'll tell you how much you owe where. It's it's very simple. They want to make it all complicated. We need a database and we need this and we need that. No, you guys need to follow the statute, the, the rules that you agreed to, fines, fees, and or restitution. And that also goes for uh, felons convicted of murder and or sexual felony offenses who are flat in, ineligible. And that's where we really dropped the net on them. We started out with the higher threshold of the inmates owing fines and or fees. Now, some of them were awaiting transport to state prison, so they were under a felony judgment at the time, a felony sentence, excuse me, at the time they voted. So that, that threshold was met. But once we got those uh, prosecuted, we knew that the sex offenders and the murderers could be prosecuted at a much lower threshold. And that's when we really went into action and started looking at individual counties other than Alachua County. We believe that we motivated the governor to actually try to do something, create this office that now has become basically, in my opinion, impotent. Um, they have more money than we'll ever see. They have no return on their investment. And we have we're running circles around them as, as two individuals. You know, it's just, it defies logic that they can't get anything done and actually lay down the law and force the law. Just basically do the job that you're getting paid to do. That's all we're asking. And, you know, the real issue is these bureaucrats, they get into position, they get direct deposit into their bank accounts. They want you to stay home and somehow feed your family and make a living while they just sit back, don't uh, worry about the voter rolls, tell everybody they're clean, and get their you know giant $10,000 a month direct deposit while you're out there running around trying to figure out how to make ends meet and how to pay your GRU electric bill, which is a whole other animal, which if you want to talk about, we can talk about that as well. Well, that question has come up about the uh, GRU. And once, obviously, people think that you are really on top of every investigation going on around here. I'm sure you I, I agree with them. Uh, yeah, it looks as if that's a done deal. Let's talk just a moment about that. And I think there's another shoe that could drop. It probably won't. But can't the uh, governors come in and say, let's go clean house in the Gainesville City Commission? You know, let's talk about all this before we wind up here. Yes. As it turns out, cities are a subdivision of the state. And yes, the state has the authority to come in and remove city commissioners. And actually, that's what JLAC um expressed to them, you know, a few months ago, and that's what scared the living daylights out of them. But my question to the current city commissioners are, 
what did you do last year um, that was bold uh, to shore up your finances? And we all know the answer. They just they give drunk sailors a bad name, Ward. They they <laughs> like you know. There's no tomorrow. It's just um, unbelievable. But uh, honestly, I need to let you know. I had little, if nothing, to do with the GRU issue. I can tell you that people like Joe Beatty and Debbie Martinez and a young lady by the name of Angela Castile have carried the water for that issue. And, um, you know, it's, it's been a long time coming. And I firmly believe that GRU is going to be fine. Our rates might do, not go down, but they'll go up uh, less. And that the city of Gainesville will very likely be bankrupt within the next 30 months. And at that point in time, the state will step in and pick up the pieces that are left for the folks that are inside, literally inside the city of Gainesville boundary. And maybe they can get their their greedy hands out of my GRU um, back pocket, you know, and because I'm in the unincorporated area, so I'm taxed for that representation. So I'm certainly affected by that. But I had little, if nothing to do with getting this across the finish line. Chuck Clements, I mean, just Herculean to get this across the finish line. Obviously, there's super majorities by the Republicans in both the House and the Senate at the state level. Even if by some long shot, Harvey Ward was able to convince the governor not to sign this bill, it would just go back to the House and Senate and they have a super majority they could override. Of course, that's not going to happen. That's that's, you know, the governor's not going to listen to the mayor of Gainesville because he's 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 figured it out. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, look, it's, it's, it's too little, too late. It's, the ship has sailed and they're doing, they're in budget now. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they balance their budget without that, that G, uh, GRU transfer fund that, that comes to the city of, of Gainesville. They've about maxed out their millage rate on their ad valorem taxes. Um, they're going to be back to fixing the, the potholes and picking up the garbage is what they're supposed to do. You know, they're threatening to have to close parks. Well, they can start with uh, T.B. McPherson, Peaceful Sundays, you know, where we've been footing the bill on that. I used to live on that street. I know how um, horrible the experience was trying to get through there traffic-wise, the safety issues, the open-air uh, alcohol, uh, marijuana, children, um, you know, concession stands without, you know, being taxed or being um, the food not being um, code-enforced. It was just unbelievable that that, uh, this was allowed to happen. Of course, it was all condoned by the chief of police, Tony Jones. I sat in his (laughs) office with Debbie Martinez and Ray Washington and flat out told him that he, he condoned the, the, uh, the event at, um, at, uh, the, the hookah lounge, the shooting, um, you know, back in the day, he, he was there. He was the first person on the scene with the guy that got gunned down, shot three times and somehow miraculously survived. He defended in that case, Ended up getting time served on on a, a, a gun possession charge. By the way, he was also uh, a registered voter after the fact. Now he's since been purged. But these are <laughs> things that are going on in our community that no one else has the ability to find or look for. We will do it for you. We're not asking for a dime. Uh, it does cost us occasionally for a public records request. And thank you, Ward, for everything you've done over the years. This platform. Thank you to for uh, Plantation Mark picking up the tab on occasion thank you for the people who have donated we're, we're not here begging for money we're, we're just here as a civic duty to our community to expose all these misdeeds that's that have been taking place for decades and of course those that want to help east gainesville uh, are typically the ones that are hurting it the, the most oh yeah people like tony jones D- Derry lloyd yes. rodney long 
you know, it just goes on and on and on. They are the poverty pimps. They are making a living off of the people that they are allegedly trying to help. You got a bail bondsman, you got preachers, you got a chief investigator for the state attorney's office, all hoodwinking the community with their hand in the back pocket of the city taxpayers. It's unbelievable. It's got to stop. The only way to stop it is for the city of Gainesville to go bankrupt. You know, that's a very good point and a very, very possible reality. And the beginning is just going to be June 1st, as near as we can tell, when the governor gets an opportunity to sign this. And we're going to watch and see what that uh, becomes. But we got to thank people that um, Mark um, mentioned, because these ladies have been working on this story. I know Debbie Martinez and her crew, they've been working on this story forever. And Since a, 2008, 2008, yes. Ward, and two, it was voted on in 2009 in the middle of the night. And uh, they tripled our liability. We went from 50 megawatts for 20 years to 100 megawatts for 30 years in the middle of the night. The only silver lining out of this is that Fagin Hanrahan could probably not even show her face in public after what she's done to this community caused us severe harm had people who have children in the home, elderly people, people with medical needs who can't afford air conditioning. It is it is absolutely criminal what they did to our community, all in the name of, you know, sustainability and green. And so she could go on a world engagement speaking tour or she's on net metering with solar. She got in early on that. It, it, it's, it is criminal, in my opinion, what she did to our community. Now, she'll never, she'll never pay for it other than, you know, good luck not being shamed in public because she, she absolutely ought to be there. It's just unbelievable what she did to our community and the other six as well, who all voted for it. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Well, we've been talking uh, with Mark Glade, delightful conversation, very informative. I recommend that uh, those of you who are listening and everything share this show because that's the way we expand the network and the information we've talked about is something that is very, very informative and it will help them become hopefully uh, more educated citizens, at least. Uh, we still leave you the right to make your own decision, but we're trying to get you uh, some information to help you make the best one. So, Mark, it's always great to talk to you, and uh, and uh, thanks for coming on. We, you know, we uh, we uh, know that uh, uh, you don't just because we hang up here, you're not going to be stopping what you're doing. <laughs> we keep right on going. So, uh, I know you're going to be still watching the. Uh, ticker tape and all that and getting the phone calls really from national media now who've discovered you, but you know, good luck on making uh, the story get through them the way we tell it. <laughs> so uh, you're right there. Ward. Thank you so much for having me on. Greatly appreciate it. Have a great weekend. You too, Mark. Bye-bye. All right. Here in Ward Scott files, we're going to, uh, we just uh, got through talking with on the uh, phone in line with uh, Mark Glazer. Uh, we're going to wish you a happy, uh, uh, healthy weekend and uh, hopefully see you Monday. Awards Scott Files at the Warthog Command Center signing off.